0: Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. My name is Jared Pickney, and I am joined today by Blake and Haley Deck. Blake and Haley, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having us. Yeah.
0: So as soon as I decided to launch the podcast, I made a list initially of about 50 people that I wanted to come on, and y'all were either at the top or right there at the top. No joke. So I am so glad uh, that y'all chose to come on and share your story with us, which is... Very tragic story, but it's also a story of beauty and life and hope that um, we all can have even in life's darkest moments. And so, um, when I reached out to you, Haley, about coming on, I had no idea that you had actually just written a book. And the book is entitled Stay Awake With Me A Mother's Meditation on Love After Death, um, which will officially be available for purchase when?
1: April 2021. is when it will come out, be in the hands of people. So
0: fantastic. So April 2021, 2021. that's fantastic. Excellent. And so, um, whenever we talked about doing the podcast, I was like, you know, we'll just maybe make this kind of interview style and ask you about your story, but then you were gracious enough to give me the manuscript. Um, for the book. And I read it, which by the way, you're a brilliant writer.
1: Oh, like, thank You're you amazing.
0: And, and the more that I've uh, talked to others about y'all coming on, even like Heather, one of our staff members is like, have you ever like seen her writings? And I'm like, where have you seen her writing? She's like, Facebook. It's incredible. And I'm like, so you already have that reputation apparently for being wow. a great writer. But I read the book and I was so impacted by it. What I thought would be good for us to do is, um, I just want to read excerpts from it. And then I'll pause and then give you a chance maybe to respond um, just with any thoughts or feelings you have as you hear me read the words. Does it sound like a plan?
1: That sounds good to me. Absolutely.
0: And so um, with that, I just want to kind of jump right into it. And so this is um, from the introdu- uh, introduction, and Haley writes the following. When I woke up that morning, I didn't know that it would be my last day ever with my children. It's funny how a day can seem so normal until it becomes the infamous date on the calendar that changes your life forever. We drove away from home as a family of four, me, my husband, Blake, our daughter, Finley, who was almost two years old, and our baby boy, Sage Miles, with whom I was 30 weeks pregnant at the time. Five minutes later, at a red light, the vehicle behind us never stopped. In one instant, life as I knew it was completely gone, wiped away almost effortlessly, and leaving two broken parents trying to find their way in complete darkness.
1: So that's, it's, you know, it's a lot to go back to, to remember, especially the moment, because it was such a chaotic whirlwind moment. And I remember when it first happened, um, first of all, I remember Blake yelling because he saw the car coming behind us. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything. And I remember hearing him yell, and then after we were hit, I remember him turning around and looking at Finley, and I he just said, you know, oh, my gosh, and I jumped out of the car. I remember pulling basically the door off the hinges to get to her, and I remember getting her out and not realizing the magnitude of what was happening because you never think that anything can happen Um to your children, to something, to someone who is so central to your, you know, existence. And I remember holding her and um, just yelling, someone help me, someone help me. And there were nurses actually on the scene and they got to us. And I remember, you know, laying her down and they were doing CPR on her. And I never at one, never for one second did I think that it was serious. I, I just never even considered that. Mm-hmm. And um, they told me she was breathing. And I remember um, just just laying there, being on the side of the road, just making sure she was okay. And I never even once had a thought about the baby that I was carrying because, you know, my two-year-old's laying there. And then um, the helicopter came, and they wouldn't let me near the ambulance which was so surreal because I'd never been away from my child and then they're telling me you know you can't come in here and um so it was just a chaotic moment and like I said I never once even considered the magnitude of what was happening in front of me um and so I think that that was really just the point that I don't know, I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is it was so weird to just be living in that moment and not feeling like you were even on planet Earth anymore. It was just crazy from that moment on.
2: That's probably the best way to put it is just not feeling like like you're on this planet. You don't know what's going on. You can't fathom what's going on. And even even today, listening to you kind of go back through that and, uh, and feel like I'm back in that driver's seat is... is it's just tough to tough to relive those moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's a parents' worst
1: nightmare, right? Uh, I could not give you another thing that would have... I mean, if you would have told me before, you know, when I had Finley, if you would have told me, like, there's going to be a day that she's not going to be here in physical form, I'd have just told you. You know, there's no living past that. And I remember driving down to Memphis because we were trying to beat the helicopter there, um, and... The ner- they had to divert the helicopter to NEA Baptist because they didn't think she was going to make it all the way to Memphis, to Lebanon. and the nurse from NEA Baptist called. My dad answered, and she specifically asked to speak to the mom, and when she asked that, I knew that they were trying to get to me to tell me something important, and I remember the feeling. I was telling people to pray for my baby, but there was something within me that knew, I don't know what it was, but I just knew what was about to happen, and I remember screaming to Blake and my dad and my mom, who were all in the car, and saying, I will die, I will die, I mean, um, and the truth is, I've said it numerous times, I, who I was, did die that day. but as we know, it's not been quite the journey I had once thought it would be. So, sure.
0: anyway. Yeah, so we'll get into more of the story as we um, read from the book. So I'd about like to just hop back into it and let you kind of speak for yourself. Um, so, yeah, back to the book. It's okay, I whispered through the most agonizing tears I could have ever imagined. But in that moment, nothing felt okay. In fact, everything felt absolutely and absurdly wrong. Finley, my happy, smart, playful two-year-old daughter, who had been romping around the house only a few hours before, had been airlifted to a children's hospital with only minutes left to live. I held her hand, and I told her it was okay, but inside I wanted to die with her. She must have known what I meant. It was okay to let go. Mommy and Daddy and her family were there for her, and she didn't have to hang on any longer. Within minutes... Finley began to code, and a team of nurses came rushing into the room. The nurses aggressively performed CPR on my baby's tiny body until Blake and I were told that it was no longer necessary. And then, like a nightmare, the doctor looked at her watch. She caught out the exact time. I cannot even remember what the time was, but it'll be forever embedded in my existence. My daughter was dead. I'd hoped that somehow my heart would be so in tune with Finley's that mine would miraculously stop beating the moments hers did. But the nightmare continued as minutes began to tick by, and I was left to survive this loss without her. I asked to hold my baby and rock her one last time. I quietly murmured the words to her favorite song, knowing it would be for the last time. And I cried as I thought about the two years that I got spinning rocking her and how it was all of a sudden over. I tried to memorize what she felt like because I knew that I was only a moment away from missing her for the rest of my life. Just before handing her back to the nurses, I kissed her head and squeezed her tightly to breathe her in one last time. On September 10th, 2017, we left Finley's body, which I dedicated my entire life to caring for at the hospital for the first time ever. I was leaving her in a strange place with people I didn't even know. I was in such a state of shock that I was too numb to fully process what had taken place. The ride home was quiet. There was nothing to say. There was no way that Blake and I could return home without Finley. So we stayed with my parents, and I woke the next day to the nightmare to reliving this incredible trauma that had occurred. I cried the most gut-wrenching tears one could imagine because all I wanted to do was walk into Finley's bedroom and see her waiting for me to pick her up. Instead, it was the first day of the rest of my life without her. Days later, I would give birth to her lifeless baby brother, and then bury them together. Within less than a week, our lives had changed so drastically that it would take nothing short of a miracle for us to be able to move forward.
1: Whew, that one's tough. (laughs) Um, Just hearing that being read to me, um, I don't know. I can vividly remember every single aspect of that day and holding her and um, I can vividly remember the last moment I held her and rocked her and I remember thinking that I was not sure how I would be able to continue life um, mm-hmm. I, I just I can't even describe to you the unknowing Just the pure not even knowing where to go next. Um, So I held her, and we rocked, and it just didn't feel real. And like I said, the next morning we woke up, and um, you kind of have that weird, surreal feeling that you start remembering everything that had taken place because, you know, when you sleep, what sleep you did get, Um, it kind of your brain stops for a little while um, but then when you wake up you're on repeat of the events and that was very agonizing because as a parent you spend your whole life Mm -hmm. taking care of your children and that's I mean our goal is to protect our children and so of course my mind goes to you know what could we have done differently? Could we have left at a different time, or just all these crazy things that could you can't change? Um, and so, and not only that, but we of course had to go to the hospital because um, baby brother didn't have a heartbeat. Hmm. So it was just a very strange time. Um, I
2: think for me. One part, obviously, uh, you know, once you get beyond the obvious loss, one of the toughest moments was that next day, and the person that's always been kind of the the rock of the family, the one that holds everybody together, watching her in that moment made it just that much more real.
1: Yeah, and I remember, you know, laying down next to you that night, and I just, I think I held your hand all night because I didn't want to let go. I didn't want, I don't know, I didn't want to be alone. And I knew that if there was anybody on this planet that knew the love I had for my children, of course, their grandparents loved them endlessly. But, you know, we had that intimate relationship with our children in our home. And we both, he knew where I was. Um, And I felt like maybe he was the only person that That would be that close, and so it was kind of hard but um i just I just remember not wanting to be away from you because you were in the same boat as me, I guess yeah.
0: um, well, the only person right that could really. Right. Come close to understanding right. what you're going through.
1: And you're grieving for your significant other because I knew his heart was hurting for his little girl and his little boy that he never got to meet. and um, That's another thing is you your heart hurts for somebody else you love. And so it, it was definitely the first day of a very long journey. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah you talk about... The guilt which you just brought up of, could I have done this different? And so you talk about this in the book. So I'll just, again, read your words. Back to the book, it says, The fact that life could continue on when my heart was so broken felt even more disturbing. I lacked interest in everything. Food, conversations with friends, daily routines. Nothing seemed to matter. It was as if I had experienced what really did matter. Love and family so deeply that everything else seems so trivial. I just read that and, and I thought how many times I know in my own life I can worry about the stupidest things. You know, my kid not playing well in a soccer game or, you know, how much money I have or whatever. And then it's like, yeah, a tragedy like this puts things in perspective.
1: It does. Um, But I will also say that even post-accident, we still, you know, everybody has those. It's hard not to
2: catch yourself from time to time. I was, because you said that, I I was speaking to somebody the other day, and I I brought up, you know, we just experienced this crazy election time, and I know that everybody is just on edge, and everybody thinks it's such a big deal, and it is, don't get me wrong. Um, But whenever I come out with a statement like, hey, guys, if this is what's shaking your foundation, if this is the big problem, you may be more fortunate than what you're leading yourselves to. And the first one of the first responses that I got was, this is the leader of the free world. And, and don't get me wrong, that is big, but there's just a point where nothing else matters, literally nothing that you can look, see, touch, feel. It, you know, there's so much more beyond that, you know.
1: But that's not to say we don't even now oh, yeah. like I worry said, yeah. about trivial sure. things. Everybody sure. does, you know. And then we we often do catch ourselves, though. We'll both kind of, and we'll bring it to each other's attention like, hey, you know, that's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's definitely, like you said, helped us to kind of be aware of, mm-hmm. okay, you're, mm-hmm. you're worrying about something mm-hmm. ridiculous right now. Yeah. Just chill out, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. Um, but...
0: Yeah, for sure. So you, you go on, and, and this hits on the guilt piece the, um, that we were talking about. But you said, as I relive the events of September 10th over and over, the shock seemed to subside, and I was able to move on to the next agonizing step, processing my guilt. What if I had taken longer to get ready that morning? What if we had taken a different vehicle? What if we'd just not gone at all? The questions were relentless, and I obsessively analyzed the events of the morning to see if there was anything I could have done differently that could have saved Finley. But after many weeks of this torture, and after talking with my husband and parents, I finally came to terms with the fact that Blake and I had spent Finley's entire life protecting her and doing what was best for her. What is can be no other way because it already is. As I began to see the inevitable of life, I stopped toiling over what I couldn't change, and my focus began to shift to the simplicity of the present moment, what is right now. And in the present moment, when my mind was not wandering to events of the past or fears about the future, I found an unexpected light amidst the ever-present darkness. I noticed that when my mind would wander off to the past or into the future, the darkness would cloud my mind once again. In the light life felt less threatening. It felt as if there was something more to be discovered, something beyond what could be seen on this surface level. There was a truth waiting to be found beyond this physical experience, but I had to stay awake in the present moment in order to find it.
1: Just hearing that, sometimes when I hear what I've written, I'm like, Wow. (laughs) I'm so glad I wrote that so I can oh, rehear yeah. it you know that's, incredible. Um, that's exactly it. I remember I already have <laughs> somewhat of an obsessive compulsive like I will repeat things I'm somewhat of a perfectionist which is not good sometimes you know um, but I will go over things over and over and over. And, and I remember talking to my parents and Blake constantly about, you know, could we have done this differently? Of course, it was a much different tone than it is today. It was true agony. I remember just beating myself down thinking, if I had taken five more seconds to fix her hair that morning or whatever, you know, when you think you're that close to not having what happened, happen. Um, and it almost killed me just going over those things in my head constantly because it was, like I said, torture. Um, but then as I wrote, you know, I did have to come to terms with what is can be no other way because it is, I can't go back and change what happened. Obviously, if we had our choice, we would not have probably gone through this. Um, But I had to come into this moment, I had to, you know, just the simplicity of literally taking in a breath and saying, okay, this is this moment, this is what is, um, observing it and, you know, allowing those emotions, those huge, huge, enormous emotions to be, um, but also kind of responding from that place rather than toiling in the past or trying to take on these future moments that haven't even got here yet. Um, And I did. I found light there. And so I remember um, being in the hospital bed ready to deliver sage. And I remember thinking, um, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live the rest of this life without these children um finley was about to turn 2 we had already planned her second birthday party of course and i remember thinking about how agonizing that day was going to be and you know the holidays would come up because this was september and and i remember trying to take on all of those moments right there in that hospital bed and then just as quick as i tried to take those on i remember I guess it was it had to be something divine that interceded because I just stopped and I said, this is the only moment that I have to handle right this second. And I remember literally, physically taking a breath in, letting a breath out, and telling myself, you survived that second, and this is how you'll do it. And I remember breathing and surviving each second, and of course the seconds got longer, Um and easier to handle with time, but um, being present and tending to this moment is what really allowed me to have a clear head about what was happening and um, find some light and some peace, a little bit of peace. And that's not to say there weren't waves of grief, of course. But um, well,
2: speaking to that, the the guilt part of it. You know, she she talks about us kind of telling her, hey, there was nothing else that we could do. We've always always done what we could to keep her safe. And and I think one thing that uh, I guess having that partner and having somebody else with you through it, um, you know, because as dads, that's our job. And I'm sorry. I don't know if I can get that out. But as you speak to her, you're speaking to yourself.
1: He's had he the one thing that I've noticed about Blake for the past three years is that anytime he talks, he protects his girls, <laughs> his babies, his boy now. Um, but that's al- our
2: job. That's that's what we grow up thinking. That's what we're supposed to do when you have these children.
1: He's always been very protective of me, and then he has girls.
2: So, and, um, thankfully, there's that person that you're telling them. You know, there was nothing more that we could do. This is. And I think the whole time I'm trying to make her feel better and move her to the next step, but I'm not saying those words to her. Yeah. Um, you know, though, those are trying to convince me that that's that that's the case. And yeah. and that's one thing that you know I I kind of hope comes of this is is you know we as dads we don't say things like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I love your heart, man. And we we're talking about before just the tenderness and there's that yeah tenderness and toughness which I think is just. Uh, Yeah, what I want to see in my own life and the life of my sons someday. And so um, thank you for sharing that. Um, So we'll go back to the book. It says, out of desperation, I finally realized that whether I had chosen it or not, I had a new companion on my journey through life. That companion's name was grief. I let it be exactly as it was, overcoming me in my most vulnerable and broken times. And I soon learned to carry it with me as I began to step back into the everyday life, which now felt so unfamiliar, scary, and unbearably sad all at once. In allowing my grief to be, I was also allowing life to be. And along came the awareness that there was something more, something beyond what could be seen on the surface, surface level that we call life. You know, I read that and I thought, you know, it seems like from an early age we're taught to stuff our pain and so I was just thinking about how even as parents whenever our kids fall down and get hurt one of the first things I'm tempted to say is, hey don't cry don't cry don't cry you're okay you're okay yeah um and then as an adult it's like that voice plays in your head right so you hear that when you're a kid and then you become an adult and it's like as soon as you begin to want to cry or experience grief like there's some voice it's like don't do this don't go there don't feel that um, but throughout the book, you talk about how important it is. And I agree with this completely that if you're going to make it through the grief process, you've got to learn to embrace the grief, Right. not like shame it, not push it down, not say, all right, see you later. Not today, mm-hmm. grief. It's like you befriend it, Right. like you're kind to it.
1: Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly it. You befriend it. Um so we don't want to feel grief because it's painful. It's very, very painful. But at the same time, um, I don't know any other way to handle it is except for to walk through it and to uh, be with it and allow it to be. And I did have to come to that point where I knew that I didn't want to feel that way, but there was no other way. I had to feel it completely for everything that it was worth. Um And in allowing it, it actually wasn't as scary because I was able to feel it. And, you know, I feel like grief also helps you process um, things that have happened. And just allowing it to be what it was, um, as painful as it was, allowed me to kind of come out on the other side of it, Um, not to say that there's not moments of still deep sadness, but um, definitely, you have any?
0: So you go on to talk about ways of grief, which you kind of just alluded to, Um, and so here's what you have to say about it, back to the book, it says... You say in the beginning I felt like I was drowning under the giant waves that seemed to crash over me repeatedly and without mercy. Nothing felt normal anymore. I was living a new life, one that I did not choose. Blake and I were selling our home because we couldn't go back there without Finley and the neighborhood we used to walk through every day became strange and unfamiliar. Everything that my life had once revolved around was suddenly gone and I was left wondering aimlessly through some incredible emotions. I spent many days gasping for air, overcome by the incomprehensible sadness at the constant thought of Finley and Sage and wondering whether the waves would ever let up. Maybe they would always be 100 feet tall and bear down on me relentlessly for the rest of my life. At some point during my journey, I learned that it was much easier for me if I allowed the waves to be. I soon learned to recognize and say yes to the waves in order to feel them completely. When I sensed the overwhelming emotions coming on, I would take a deep breath and say, okay, right now I feel sad. Then I would try to feel those emotions for everything they were worth. Sooner or later, I realized that no matter how painful this experience of grief was, I would forever choose the physical moment that I had with Finley and Sage, even with the waves. Sometimes I simply had to carry the sadness with me, but recognizing and accepting that sadness completely was the only way that I could move through it. Rather than striving for happiness or excitement to cover up the difficult emotions, I learned to embrace what I truly felt, which gave me the opportunity to truly process my emotions. By letting my feelings be heavy while I moved forward each day, I soon learned that the waves would always subside again, and eventually I noticed that they weakened as I became stronger, that's beautiful.
1: Well, I remember going back to work, and of course, I had your yeah, little girl in class. Right. Um, kindergarten is a lot. <laughs> Twenty-five <laughs> year old. Especially when you have Nora Pickney. I, I love Nora. Oh, I love Nora. Um, first of all, I had the best class I could have ever imagined. Like it was divinely set up for me the parents I I just cannot explain to you that class will forever hold a special place in my heart but I remember going back and I remember I, I walked into the classroom like the weekend before because I knew I had to see it post Finley transitioning to heaven because I needed to feel what it felt like walking in there knowing that I didn't have two physical children I was going home to and I remember walking in and just being overcome with the feelings of sadness and just anything you can imagine Um, as I saw her pictures that were there the day that Friday afternoon that I left you know and um, I remember just wondering how am I going to give to these five-year-olds that so need you? How am I going to do that um, when I don't even know if I have anything left to give? And so um, that's kind of what I'm talking about in the book when I say that I had to kind of carry that sadness with me um, throughout the days because, you know, life continues on. And I just walked through the days the best that I could. And if I was sad, I tried to acknowledge it and um, just let it be what it was. But at the same time, just being present with them allowed me to stay in this moment rather than relishing in the past and then the events that had happened or worrying about something that was coming. So... um, it honestly helped me to probably process my grief even more, getting yeah. back into it. Sure. But
0: yeah. we were so glad to have you back. By the way, <laughs> I and love so, those
1: kids.
0: I'm wondering, and and this question just came to my mind. You know, I remember, um, I remember you coming back for the first time, obviously, because my daughter was in your class, and you know, it's when you're on the other side. This is a question I, I think that I want you to answer because even if we never experience a tragedy like this, we're going to know someone who experiences tragedy. We'll experience our own tragedies, and then others will experience. And I think oftentimes you want to help people, and you have no idea what to do or what to say. And so I can remember even you coming back, and there was a part of me that was like, everybody's probably going to look at them differently, and I'm, I'm sure they don't want people to. Um, and so I just want to maybe just treat Haley the way I would have if nothing happened, or Blake, which I didn't know as well at the time. But, but then there was another part of me that thought, man, I bet they're spending every waking moment thinking about this. So it's not like I'm gonna bring something up that they're like, oh, I'd actually forgot about this accident. Thanks a lot for bringing it up, man. And so you know, there was another part of me that was like, no, it feels very like, um cold hearted to not be like, Hey, how are you doing? You know? And so I guess I'm just curious from your perspective now going through this and you talk a little bit about it in the book, I think, but what seemed to be most helpful? Um, what advice do you give to those who are going to have other friends that are going to experience their own tragedies and they just want to care well for them? What was most meaningful to y'all during that season?
2: So early on, I think, um, from first and foremost, from the perspective of the person that's in that circumstance, you have to understand, and, and you are in that moment, you know, that people don't have a clue where to go, where to, you know, what to say. Every single person that you run into wants to acknowledge that they're thinking of you. And, uh, you know, I actually had a couple clients that the first time I saw them following our accident, they they froze. They stood at me. One very good, uh, you know, friend and, and client that I'd worked with for a while, the first time I seen him, his feet doesn't move. He completely locks up and he stares at me for about 10 seconds. And and the only thing I could do was say, man, it's okay. And, uh, but, you know, we we try to express our feelings we try to tell people that we're there for them and really and truly that's all that you can do um because no matter how it comes along we we did want to be treated as if nothing ever happened but at the same time we knew that that can't happen it can't happen in our in our minds so we know therefore it can't happen in the other person's mind
1: and i will say that this community i can't even i I dote on this community all the time because we have never been carried so much. And and people, I guess what I'm trying to say is this community did it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know what I would have done if it would have been my friends going through something. But I can say that this community has loved on us supported us, encouraged us, loved our babies, Um, and, you know, the parents in my class, (laughs) y'all, y'all were phenomenal, and I don't think anybody could have done any better than what they did, and so you're asking how you want to, honestly, I don't even know really how to answer that because I, I don't, I don't know for sure even how we wanted to be treated. We were in so sh- such shock um, that we didn't even know which way was up. So the fact that people were there, but nobody was too imposing or anything like that. Nobody treated us weird. We did definitely get some looks when we were out like people like they had seen a ghost you know um so we kind of and and honestly humor is our thing we would kind of chuckle about that because we were like they just saw a ghost you know so i had
2: i had one and and i probably shouldn't even say it but i but i had one that I, i ran into a lady probably three months afterwards i'm trying to get it out of the house i'm trying to go in place and i and i run into dollar general to grab something really fast and and I, I look to my right, and I see somebody I recognize, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And, or how have you been? And her response is, better than you. Oh, <laughs> man. <And> it, <laughs> Listen, but you, you're like, but we, you immediately <laughs> understand that it's like she, no idea. nobody knows yeah. what to say, and and that just has to be a mutual respect on both sides.
1: <laughs> Luckily, we were, I guess, at a place where, honestly, though, being lighthearted about things, I know this is obviously a heavy mm-hmm. topic, but sure. bringing a little bit of lightheartedness to yep. stuff can definitely help you heal. Yep. And so, yep. I don't know. Yeah, I think for that
0: sure.
1: We kind of laugh yeah. about things like yeah. that.
0: But. And that's a good segue because we're going to kind of move into part of the book where you talk a little about laughter and oh, yeah. choosing to think positively through these things. So, um, back to the book. Everything was dramatically different since life had changed so suddenly and unexpectedly. Instead of waking up every day to take care of Finley or the kindergartners that I taught, I was waking up with one in mind, make it through that day and that day alone. Taking care of myself and processing this new situation was my only focus and it quickly took every bit of my attention. I devoted my time to feeling the emotions as they came, accepting them, and eventually learning to accept the present moment. After all, I couldn't change what was, but I could definitely change the way I responded to it. I know I mentioned this to you in email, Haley, but uh, Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz, um, wrote a book called A Man's Search for Meaning, meaning which is about his time in a Nazi concentration camp. And he talks about the power of the mind in there and about those who lived versus those who just basically gave up and died. And he talks a lot about this idea, like the power of choosing. And there's a line from the book where he says this, and I just I put it on here. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. It sounds like that's kind of what you're getting at in your book.
1: So profound, that quote that you just read from him, because um, I have learned <laughs> that my torture— of course, we were going to physically miss our children in form. But what they've taught me is that I had the opportunity to see it differently. I had the opportunity to experience it differently and to, like you said, choose which path I was going to take. I could relish in this agony that I was feeling and um not being able to accept what was and and constantly thinking how could this have been different or um, this shouldn't be but in choosing to go you know this is what is and allowing it to be it kind of took me into a place where i could heal and i could see it differently if God were going to show that to me, which He has dramatically, um, but yes, exactly. You, we have the we can we have the opportunity to choose what we're going to think about. We can think about things that um, cause us to feel pain, or we can think about things that um, bring us joy and happiness and peace. And um, I wanted my sweet little Finley. Because her life was nothing but love and joy on this earth. I mean, complete joy. And that's all she gave us. She was a gift of joy. And I knew that September 10th was not the end of that. I knew that um, that was not going to be her story. And I knew that. I knew that that wasn't the end of our story. September tenth wasn't, and that um, going forward, I had the opportunity to share the love and the light and the joy and the peace and everything good that she had given to us in form. Um, I had the joy. I had the opportunity to share that um, even now, and. And God and she has led me into a place of being able to see that and experience that now, even um, beyond the forms. So. Yeah.
0: You go on and you write about the first time that you remember laughing after the accident. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly, you talked about how you even feel guilty, like, how can yeah. I do this? and. You know, what kind of mom would be laughing in a time like this? and then, But you go on to quickly say, like, you realize that laughter really is. I mean, and the Bible talks about it. It's a medicine mm-hmm. to the soul. And so back to the book, he said this, laughter is healing. It may seem impossible to feel angry, anxious, or sad while laughing, even if it's only for a brief second. In that second of laughter, the heavy emotions of grief disappear. Your perspective shifts to something much lighter and less threatening, and it's as if your heavy heart catches a much needed break laughing takes you fully into the present moment and may even give you a little bit of hope you need to keep going. When it comes, accept it as life's free gift to the soul and know that's exactly what your loved one would want.
1: Yeah. I, I remember the first, I can specifically remember that first laugh. I was sitting in the hospital bed literally about to give birth to my child who was no longer living. And, you know, of course, any thought of Finley was just beyond comprehensible. But somebody said something. It was probably Julie. (laughs) She probably said something goofy that made me laugh or chuckle. And I remember, like I said, feeling intense guilt because how could I laugh at a moment like that? But as I looked back and I processed through it, um, it's exactly that. It brings you straight into the present moment, you know, because you are tending to whatever it is that was, that made you laugh. And, um, it's so, so healing, but yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. I love your ability to hold all of these emotions together. Like I think that oftentimes we think these emotions are all pitted against one another mm-hmm. and they're really not. I mean, it just shows you're fully human, right. you know, your ability to laugh and cry and then laugh. It's just like, that's emotionally right. healthy is what right. it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And so laughter, So back to the book. I've got a few more excerpts um, before we end our time. Um, Haley writes this. There's no going back. There's no changing what is. After reminding myself of this day in and day out, I begin to truly accept the present moment for what it is. A part of me grieved the fact that it couldn't be changed, but another part of me felt relief that I could let go of those agonizing thought patterns and realize that I was never really in control in the first place. Not only did I begin to accept the present moment exactly as it was, but I began to experience a radical shift in thinking that I never would have anticipated. Rather than feeling as if this was all a huge mistake, a fault in the divine plan that I was now forced to navigate through, I felt strangely different about it. I thought that maybe... This wasn't a mistake after all. Maybe I had simply assumed that my life would be different than what it was, and my assumptions and expectations were actually causing my suffering. Even more so, maybe Finley's time was was exactly as it was supposed to be. Maybe she completely fulfilled her time on earth, and nothing was taken from her as it had once seemed. As I tended more and more to the present moment, I became increasingly comfortable with the time that she had. Did I want more with her? Absolutely. I would always wish for more time with my sweet girl. But instead of focusing on the fact that she wasn't there in form, I turned my attention to understanding her life in a much deeper way, her eternal existence, and the moment I could have with her then and there.
1: So it goes back to choosing what you want to believe. Um, And you know, I was just talking to Blake about this last night. Um, people will message me all the time and say, "You're so strong. How did you do this? How did you live through this?" Um, and I tell, I told Blake, I said, "To me, it's not strength. It's more of a." I had to do what I had to do. I had to believe a certain way in order to survive this. And for me, I couldn't believe that my child was taken from me. I couldn't believe that there was some mistake and God, you know, we didn't pray hard enough, and so God took my child from me. Um, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live today thinking that. So for me, I, I, I had a moment where... I remember telling, actually, Finley, I remember telling her, you know, there's going to have to be some supernatural healing here because I can't do this. I can't continue this life without you. And I was led straight into the awareness that maybe there's something more than what my mind here that perceives everything through the five senses can understand. Maybe... It's not that I'm so great that I know everything. You know, maybe there's something more here than what meets the eye. And maybe you just can't see it through your five senses. And she began to show me a deeper place that is so much further beyond what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, here. Um, and all I had to do was be willing to be open to it be willing to see it, believe it. Um, And her and God would constantly lead me there. And sometimes they would lead me there with signs in physical form because, you know, we're physical and and we need to see those things. Um, But it was an inward shift. And I began to choose to believe that maybe all of this was divinely planned out Mm -hmm. and there was no mistake and that, like I said, she fulfilled completely everything she was supposed to fulfill and that she simply expanded into everything she was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I honestly can say this with such peace that I don't think that I would know how to rest in such a deep place of peace without this event. Um, it's through what I thought at one point would kill me that has taken me into the deepest peace I've ever known about anything. And it's all about choosing to believe one way as opposed to, I guess I would say, being you know, stubborn in my own mind and, and saying, no, this can't be, this cannot be what is, this isn't, this isn't okay. Um, I had to let go of that in order to accept the gift that was being given to me. Wow.
0: Can you say that again? That You might, you might not even remember what you said, but the thing that you thought was going to kill you brought you the deepest sense it's, of peace. How did yeah, you say that?
1: Yeah. The thing that I once thought would kill me. Yeah this tragic event that I truly, in the moment that it was happening, I truly did not think that I would ever be able to live past it. Um, It has been the window that has taken me, the door, I guess, actually, that you would say, that was opened, that I walked through, that has taken me into the deepest peace I've ever known, the deepest joy, because... You see, before then, everything on this physical realm was what controlled, okay, so if this is going wrong, then, you know, I can't be at peace because something's going wrong over here or feeling like you need everything to align and be perfect for you to feel comfortable and peaceful and, and have joy. But, you know, when your children transition to heaven before you, um, there's no changing that. There's, no, there's nothing that can make that okay in the eyes of our physical selves. Um, so they've taught me that there's so much more beyond this physical realm mm-hmm. and that peace and joy are so, so attainable beyond what's happening here. It doesn't have to be all perfect and everything lining up here on this physical realm for, for there to be true peace, deep peace and joy. Um, and I'm saying that because they've taught me to experience them differently than I once thought that I would be. Of course, when I had Finley, I never once imagined that I would be living this life without her in form. But um, she's taught me that of our eternal nature... And, of course, you know, I told you I grew up in Southern Baptist. Sure. Like, of course, I've always been taught, you know, about But it's heaven. one thing to
0: experience it here it's, and experience it.
1: That's what, right. I, that's what I've told Blake all along is that, you know, I've had people pass away before and never really thought much about death. But when your children, when your child goes, there's not anything that would keep me from going where my child is. And Finley knew that. God knew that and and I feel like that is all a part of this divine plan is that it would pull me into a place of finding her wherever she was Mm -hmm. you know whatever that may look like Mm -hmm. um and so and it's been a place of deep rest and and so that's just I, I, that's why I want to share this because it's so completely opposite of what I would have ever
0: Absolutely. originally thought.
1: Absolutely. But it all stemmed from being open to it and allowing whatever spiritual impulse came mm-hmm. and allowing it to be and accepting it and not just shunning it completely um and just being open to seeing it differently and experiencing it differently even if originally it felt like it would be painful no. or opposite of what you thought mm. um but it it it's been it's been the most profound journey of a lifetime i believe because of that because i was willing to go okay this is where we are um I need to see this differently. I need you to show me this yeah. differently. Um, I need you to lead me because I have no idea where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to experience you here now. Still, I can't wait until we meet again someday in heaven. I have to. I have to have it now. Sure. So.
0: Yeah. What's well, so profound about that to me and helpful, and I know for those who are listening, is so much of our life, so much of our joy is stolen by this anxiety where we're constantly thinking about worst-case scenarios in the future and how, man, if this happens, I would never be happy again. And 99.9% of the times, the things we're worried about never happen. Mm -hmm. But, like, literally the worst thing you could ever imagine happened to you, and then you said it was a window into joy and peace and rest. And to me, it's just the freedom that comes from choosing to believe that reality and not just believing it because it's a pie in the sky idea because I read about it in a book but sitting across from two people that's like no I'm telling you that like that's my story like I'm telling you like that's not like I didn't read that in a book like right. that's our life
1: I had to do it to survive and I don't know yeah. that Blake Blake and I kind of we're almost like the same person really <laughs> um but he also views things a little bit different, even in this. Well, every, I,
2: everybody's at a different place and time. Everybody experiences things a little bit different. On that, because of the way that you worded it, um, there's a f- public speaker that I've listened to for quite a while, and uh, and prior to this, uh, everything, he would always lead back to when he wants to reset his mind, whenever he wants to um, kind of hit that reset button and and whether it be his career, whatever focus it is at the moment, he would always talk about, I think in my head, of worst-case scenario. And I try to envision worst-case scenario. And his worst-case scenario that he explains and says, this is what I try to make myself believe has happened, is what happened to Haley and I. And I listened to this guy every day before I got up and went to work. You know, um, his the YouTube channels, the podcast, that was what I heard every day. So it was crazy to me. I didn't listen to this stuff once I went back to work, once I'd done this, because I knew that he his punchline always ends with, man, if I can convince myself that that's happened to me today, if I can use my brain and do that, nothing else can get any worse than that. But now you go back, and he was right? He never stepped in those shoes, but prior to this, the electric bill and how much is in the checking account, man, that'll get you really fired up. It'll it'll really trigger some stuff. I'm not sure that that will ever play an effect, you know, like it used to. I, I don't think that political things will ever upset me like they used to because once you've seen what you feel like is your absolute worst day you know there there is somewhat of a peace in knowing that you know I've seen it I've walked it Um, so those those little things just don't have that effect anymore wow so there's two more excerpts that I want to read and
0: then um, we'll end so you do talk a lot in the book and this kind of transitions out of kind of what you were talking about already but You talk a lot in the book about surrendering your need for control or to control life. And I love this section. Um, you write, I've come to a point in my journey where I realize that no matter how wrong it feels, that my life has played out this way. And my life has played out this way. This moment can be no other way because it is simply what it is for me. And this was huge to me. For me, forgiving the moment means letting go of any anger or resentment towards this moment of life. It means letting go of my ideas about how my life should have gone and accepting the way that it is. Forgiveness.
1: It's huge. Um, I had to come to that point where I realized that I didn't want life to be the way it was. Um, As a mother, it was completely unacceptable. And it was killing me in my head. What I was thinking about it is what was killing me. Maybe not even the actual situation, but what I was thinking about the situation. And just as I said, I had to learn to forgive the moment. I had to learn to, um, let go of any resistance to it and let it be what it was. And, um, you're right. Forgiveness was a powerful point in my journey because it allowed me to take that next step in healing. I could not move forward and experiencing, experience them differently. Like I've talked about, um, without forgiving the moment, because that's where we were. So
0: that's powerful. Have you found that, um, forgiveness for you in this Within this moment, is it like a one and done type deal where you were like, I had a, like, I stuck a flag in the sand? Or is it like, no, I have to choose to keep forgiving? You
1: know, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I've had to come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like ultimately I probably was able, I had one moment where it was like sureness, like, you have to forgive this moment, you have to forgive this whole event any resentment, any resistance you have towards it. But like you say, I've probably had to go back and remind myself any time that the thought would creep in, how is this my life? How has this... How is this what my life has become? Yes. And, and definitely around dates. Um, I've tried not to put an emphasis on dates, but when they creep up, it's mm-hmm. kind of tough, especially when you celebrate your little girl's birthday and she's not here and you're singing happy birthday to her, and it's just strange um, singing happy birthday to your absent child. Um, it's heavy, and there are times where I can feel myself sink leading up to them it's almost like it catches me off guard, and I have to remind myself. You know, we're we're accepting this as it is, and maybe going back, like you said, and just keep reminding myself. Yes, this is yes. what is. We're we're not having any resistance to it, and um, we're learning to experience them now and enjoy them now, and. And you're definitely right there. It, it it's been a process. I don't think it's been a one. I've never looked back. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. never once yeah. again had to had to remind myself of this. Every this whole process, I've listened. You know, I listen to spiritual teachers and and uh, podcasts and everything, and I will listen to the same messages over and mm-hmm. over and over, um, almost to the point that I can quote it just because it's almost like it gets. Mm-hmm down into my soul, I guess, you know, um, but I have to keep the right things coming in, in order to really influence the way I'm thinking or choosing to believe. So
2: I'm glad you said it like that because living in a house with her, you sometimes, you know, you you do have those peaks and valleys and and that resistance that she talks about does come back. And you know um
1: right you say no this is not okay it's
2: not to Somebody, say that you it, know oh, hang on a second
1: right yeah. exactly no yeah. this isn't okay there, and then, it's
2: not to say that there's never those moments that man you just want to scream out that this is stupid this is this doesn't make sense this is unfair um and those do come back but i as much as they come and go, I don't think that there's ever going to be a moment that we can say, well, from here on out, that's never going to happen again. Sure, sure. It It is, um, there has to be a little bit of a conscious effort to to bring that back. Right, because so, we're still human. Absolutely. Exactly. You know? Absolutely.
1: Uh, definitely, we, we've we seen a deeper side, but we yeah. we are definitely still human. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and I think that there's... For everybody, I mean, there's just so many layers to us to where you think, like, I've completely forgiven this person or this moment, and then there's a song. Oh, yeah. Or then there's a date, Mm -hmm. or then there's a place, and you're like, oh, and you didn't know that part was in you.
1: Mm -hmm. You can't unlive it. You
0: can't unlive it. You can't
1: unlive it, but you can bring yourself back to the present moment, Mm because in the present moment, um, you're tending to what is, and you are, if you're not, toiling over thoughts of the past, you know, um, honestly, being in the present moment to me is forgiving whatever has happened, so.
0: Yeah, so there's so much more um, that I could read from the book, and I want to encourage everyone listening to definitely grab your copy on April 20th, right?
1: April 2021.
0: April 2021, yeah, okay. We'll
1: be in the hands of right. people who have pre-ordered, and we'll, we'll um, get those out in the spring. So awesome. I'm excited.
0: Well, we'll end here. This is... Um, I love this quote. So back to the book. I will never be able to tell you that our accident was beautiful, but... What I can tell you is that I have experienced many beautiful moments since then because tragedy truly does change the way you view the world. Although I would have never chosen for it to be this way, I realize now that I've gained a deep appreciation for the physical moments we have with our loved ones, and each moment has become a spiritual experience of living in the present moment with gratitude.
1: Yes, that's what I want our experience to be. I want... When I talk about Finley and Sage and I share my babies with people, I want the legacy of everything they've left on our lives to be our story. And I think it still goes back to choosing. Um, That's what I choose. I don't want um, a tragic accident to be our story. I want the love and the light and the peace and the joy that they've led us to and shown us in the midst of tragedy to be our story and that just goes to show you um, the deep connection that we all have with one another Um, she's shown me faithfully every day that there is no separation um, and that um, we're always together, and as long as I'm willing to see that and experience that, um, she'll always be there to guide me to that. God will always be there to help push us along, and we just are so thankful to be able to share that with them, with everyone. So.
0: Well, Blake and Haley, um, we'll stop there for the sake of time. It's a good place to end you are certainly a couple that has experienced, as you said, every parent's worst nightmare, and yet it was through, in your own words, what you thought was going to kill you has actually led you into deeper life. That's incredible. That's going to stay with me, I think, for the rest of my life. And so I just want to say um, thank you for letting us sit in on this, to listen to this. Um, I have received such a gift by being here. And I know those of you that are listening to this, the same is true for you. To be able to sit through what we just had a chance to sit through, to, to listen to a couple step into something like this, to relive one of the worst moments in their life. takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. And so what a gift that we got a chance to witness it. And so thank you, Blake and Hanley, for coming on here. For those who are listening, thank you for taking the time um, to listen today. Um, we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram and Twitter. You can also... Uh, check us out at www.paragouldpodcast.com. And if you haven't, we would encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our email. Uh, We look forward to next week having Max Bishop on.
1: Until then.